Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. And a warm welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for uh, being with me today. It's going to be a great couple of hours planned, like I always look forward to. And I always try to plan uh, as much solid biblical content as you can handle in two hours. That's my goal every day. So you're going to have a great uh, opportunity to meet uh, Carl Kirby in just a minute. He's coming on the program for the first time. He's got quite a story, and he's got an amazing website called... Uh, What's R4H, Reasons for Hope, R4H.com. You're going to love checking that out. And then I'm going to be joined by Pastor John Somerville, who's written really a great uh, book called Making Room for Christmas, 10 Original Christmas Stories. And I've read many of them. And I got to tell you, there were some tears on every story. It was very moving. And then uh, hour two is going to be Jay Warner Wallace. So I don't know how I can do better than that for the day. So let me take 60 seconds and bring on Carl. Whether you're a longtime listener or have only recently started listening to Faith Radio, we're glad you found us. You can discover all Faith Radio has to offer by requesting one of our free welcome packets. Just visit MyFaithRadio.com and click on the Get Your Welcome Packet link. Submit your address there and we'll send it right out to you. That's the free Faith Radio Welcome Packet. Request yours at MyFaithRadio.com today. At times, it feels like the only slowdown at Christmas is when you're completely stopped in mall traffic. Welcome to Faith Radio. This season, we hope you can come here to slow down your thoughts, find peace, reflect on God's goodness, get to know this Christ child and be inspired to join the shepherds and angels as you simply and majestically adore him. Connecting faith to life, Faith Radio. Welcome to the program. Awfully glad that you are with me today. My first guest on the program is Carl Kirby. He's the founder and president of Reasons for Hope, really a great website, r4h.com. r4h.com is the location of the website. And Carl, welcome to the program. Bill, thank you for having me on. It's a great pleasure. You kidding? I, where have you been all these days? I mean, I just discovered your <laughs> fantastic website and these videos you produce. They're top notch. Oh man, we are so blessed to do those things. Um, you know, it, it's a weird story. It goes back like 10 years where uh, I was doing a lot of ministry with the younger generation, and they just think different, man. And so uh, I, I tell folks, if you think you can get up in front of this younger generation and start off with today, they're, they're done. You're not going to get the third word. So to me, man, you got to come at them. You got to cut them out quick. You got to bring, it's got to have a little jib and a jab there. And yep. uh, just make them think. That's that's my goal. Yep. And they, they grew up on video, so they can smell bad ones really quick. Yep. Amen. Yeah, Amen. you did. You did beautiful work. All right. I want to get to know you a little bit. So tell me what happened between May 14th and May 16th, 1987. 
1987. What happened? May 15th, you were at a Lowell Lundstrom minute, uh, crusade. Oh, that's amazing. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Yeah, I was actually a uh, <laughs> city. Uh, my wife, don't get old, dude. It's bad. Oh, yeah. Um, but... My wife had gotten saved two years before me, and I thought I was a Christian because I was raised in the church, so I right. knew stand up, sit down, kneel, I knew school and all that, you know, but I didn't know Jesus. And so uh, uh, I had taken my wife to church. She got saved. Then my brother moved out. We were living in Salt Lake City, Utah at the time. So I took him to church, and uh, Lowell Lundstrom, man. And I know Lowell. <laughs> I knew Lowell, I should say. Oh, my goodness. He, uh, he came to Salt Lake City, Utah, and did a revival, first time ever. I heard big names turned down coming to Salt Lake just because, you know, they didn't expect a good reception. They rented out the University of Utah, the Huntsman Center, and Lowell Lundstrom came in there. And one of the guys that he had on stage with him was the center for the Utah Jazz, Mark Eaton at that time. Mm -hmm. And basketball, God, I coached, I played, that was my God. And so I told my brother, I said, you need to go listen to this guy. He's an NBA player and he knows what's up. Lowell Lundstrom preached a simple gospel message, and I'm sitting there in this big auditorium, and I'm like, I'm going to hell. I don't have that. It was literally as if the scales were pulled off my eyes, and I'm sitting there. I'm taking people to church, and I'm going to hell. I'm putting money in an offering plate, and I'm going to hell. I don't know Jesus. And so, yeah, thank you. May 15, 1987 was the the day that the Lord— it was my birthday. My birthday is May 1561, so my rebirth day is the same day as my birthday. That's pretty convenient. Yeah, really. <laughs> <laughs> so as you get older, that's one less thing you have to remember, which is kind of convenient as well, isn't it? Well, since I already forgot what you're asking about the first time, <laughs> I got good things. <laughs> exactly. Okay, now I, I, I listened to your testimony and, and heard your story, and it, it's really interesting. Uh, I would just love for you to take our listeners on just a truncated version of, of uh, you going off sure. and joining the Air Force and meeting your wife and... Man, I tell you, it's uh, it is crazy. I was, uh, I tell folks, I grew up around guys with one name: Crusher, Bruiser, Mauler, Assassin. Uh, so don't expect a lot of uh, highfalutin and uh, high IQ stuff when you get me, man. I'm pretty right. rubber meets the road. When, I like it. When you grow up in a professional wrestler, you don't <laughs> IQ's not stressed, okay? Uh, but uh, I uh, crazy background. You know, people joke about that and think it'd be really cool. But I got to tell you, the behind the scenes stuff. If if you if your value comes from the fact that people are patting you on the back and telling you how good you are, it's pretty ugly when that goes away. Mm-hmm. And so I I use that background really more as to, as a a hook because there's so many of the younger generation that think that would be so cool if people wanted my autograph and I was rich and I was famous, I had money. Trust me, it's very shallow. But uh, so my parents divorced when I was 13. Um, I went with my mother instead of my father. This is a really truncated version. Uh, my mother got remarried uh, 16. Um, it, it was crazy stuff, okay? Eventually, my senior year in high school, my mother moves away. I stayed in Lexington, Virginia to finish up my senior year in high school. And uh, I didn't even graduate my senior year because my English teacher made a smart aleck comment to me, and I was out of control, man. I took my book and I threw it at her. I didn't hit her. You know, it was mm-hmm. just one of those just don't mess with me type things. But it was, uh, she failed me for whatever reason. And so you couldn't get a high school diploma when you didn't have a English senior English. So I ended up, man, uh, basically on the streets. I was in Lexington, Virginia. I was living in the girls' bathroom of VMI, the Virginia Military Institute. Mm-hmm. They didn't have 
cadets back then, and they had a couch in the girls' bathroom, and the window was open on the outside. So I would crawl in at night, sleep on the girls' couch. What's up with that? Why do girls get couches in the bathroom? I don't know. And so uh, I was happy for it. I yeah. That. Uh, so I was sleeping there. Um, got arrested, drunk and disorderly, resisting arrest, assault on a police officer. It was, you know, it was okay, bad. And uh, and I'll never forget, I had gone to the Army recruiter because I was the only, rec- only recruiter we had in Lexington, Virginia. And I had already signed up to go uh, in the military, but I was overweight. Now, if you look at me today, you say, yeah. But back then, I'm telling you, sports was my God in, in, in totality. But it was crazy. So I had to go back home for this week. During that week, I get arrested. But something crazy happened. The Army recruiter pulled me into his office and said, what are you doing? So what do you mean? He said, why are you coming into the Army? I said, I got nothing, dude. I'm living on a couch of a, in a girl's bathroom at VMI. He said, do not come into the Army. He said, don't come in here. I'm looking at your test scores in six months. You'll go crazy. we got to make our training manuals in comic book format. I said, what do I do? He took my paperwork to the Air Force. I'm sure he's the guy, because when I came back the next week with the weight and everything, mm-hmm. I was way below. So I know this guy did something to keep me out. So I went into the Air Force, supposed to go in as an admin, a typist, right? Get into basic training. The, the drill instructor about a week into it is asking everybody, what's your job? What's your job? He gets to me, typist. Dude, he busted gut. He was <laughs> laughing so hard he couldn't breathe. I'm like, what's up with that? And he said, man, they're going to call you. And I can't repeat the name now that I'm a Christian. It wasn't right. very nice. And I said, um, that's not a good name. He said, you might as well get used to it because the rest of the time you're in the Air Force, you're doing that job, that's what they're going to call you. How do I get out of it? Go volunteer. So I went and I volunteered and I ended up with three choices. Ordnance Disposal Specialist, call me what you want, not messing with bombs. Number two, they wouldn't let me do. I'd hurt my knee in high school playing football, so that automatically disqualified me. Three was air traffic control. I was like, what's air traffic control? The guy looks at me like I'm stupid. He goes, in the summertime, you're in an air-conditioned room, and in the wintertime, you're in a heated room. I went into air traffic control, and I ended up doing that for 24 and a half years until I left uh, four years from retirement to go full-time into ministry. That's fantastic. And you had uh, um, the opportunity to uh, control some a presidential plane once, and, and uh, you had some pretty yeah. high-profile people coming in. Yeah, President Bush, uh, first, I worked his plane at least once, and uh, President uh, Clinton worked him, Alexander Hay worked him. So, you know, it was... Kind of fun. It was it was a fun job, man. I'm not going to lie. I mean, I, I, I'm i an ad- adrenaline junkie and uh, ADD to the max, if you can't tell. So <laughs> yeah, any job tell. that I have to do is repetitive, I would have died in. So air traffic control was unique in that it was repetitive. It did the same thing. Yeah. Don't let the planes hit. Right. Uh, but the way that you got... It was different every day. So God really uniquely protected me and blessed me. I, like I said, I ended up going working 24 and a half years as an air traffic controller before I went full-time into the ministry. Mm-hmm. So I want to hear about um, Reason for Hope, and I think I probably should take a quick break right now, but when I come back, I'd like to hear more about that and how we can direct our uh, listeners to see some of these uh, really powerful uh, videos on apologetics. So um, we'll be back in just a minute. Um, Thank you for joining me today. Uh, Carl Kirby is my guest. We'll be right back.
Welcome back to the show. Awfully glad to be meeting and talking to Carl Kirby today. He is the founder of Reason for Hope uh, Ministries. Uh, R4H.com is the website. So, uh, Carl, thanks for that little uh, uh, picture of your upbringing. And, and uh, I know you met your wife when you were uh, overseas. I think you were 20 years old. You've been married for how many years now? 37. That's fantastic. So, uh, at least talk- I knew that answer. <laughs> and what? I see. At least I knew that answer. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's a good one to know for sure. Let's talk yep. about let's talk about reason for hope. Um, and the I want to direct our listeners to be able to go watch some of these videos. They're so well done. Tell us more oh, about great, that, man. Well, if you go to getdebunked.com, getdebunk.com you can actually see all the videos but i'll tell you what we'd even love to give them to folks for free so if they've got a smart device go ahead and take it out right now it's okay i have a special dispensation to do this unless you're driving uh take the smart device out go to your messaging software uh whichever one it is and in the the recipient is going to be five one five 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 and then text in the below that in the messaging just write stay bold one word stay bold b-o-l-d bill and uh that way we bill you guys we're going to give them all to your listeners you're all going to get them for free you'll get a link immediately from us it takes you to all 14 of the current ones uh next one's coming out here lord willing this week in spanish and then uh we'll have another one i'm praying at the end of this month in english so uh they they started about 10 years ago but we didn't really get serious on producing we produced six for the first 10 years but in this last year we we got dedicated and we've been making one a month for the last year and uh, the whole goal is let's take the issues that I'm getting confronted with when I go to this uh, the camps and the younger mm-hmm. generation and throwing these questions at me. Well, let's take those things and and answer them and show them that there are answers and that Christianity is not this old, outdated, fuddy-duddy type stuff that we get that we see all the time in the media. So we built these things. They're three and a half to four minutes, fast-paced. I mean, Very bing, fast. bing, bing, animation. Yeah. Yeah, um, because we want this generation to go, whoa, this isn't your father's Oldsmobile. You know, Christians, we thought were these, you know, old, outdated kind of guys. And this thing, we try to make it look good. We There's humor in there, but there's seriousness in there. And um, and we just filmed. This is something I'm really excited about, Bill. We just filmed the first four episodes. Uh, we're calling it Debunk TV, where those videos are so fast, it's really hard to glean a lot of information from them. So now, and they've always been designed to be a hook, to just get people interested and want to know more. So now the co-creator and I, we filmed the first four episodes. I flew out in January to film the next four episodes, where we take each one of the debunk videos and flesh them out, the arguments that are nice. used in there, flesh them So now you're looking at a 25 to 35-minute video that you can do on your own, self-study, that you can do in a small group with your family. And if you do that 51555, stay bold, you're going to get all that stuff for free, man. We just we want people to have tools. Yeah. You can also go to getdebunk.org, can't you, and just get them all online? Yep, you can get them online. Yeah, if you I, want them on your, your device, you okay. can show them. You can do that 51555. Yeah. Okay, cool, because I was watching them on online uh, this morning, and um, they are, they're, you're, you're riveted. You watch the whole thing, and the pace is fast, and you can show this to a 15-year-old, and they'll be riveted too. And you're yep. deal, you're, you're, That was the whole thing. Yeah, and you're, you deal with questions like uh, um, there is no evidence for God. Um, all consensual sex is okay by God. There is no truth. It's always wrong to judge. 
um, suffering disproves a good God. These are all the kind of uh, things you've heard throughout the years in apologetics, isn't it? Oh, absolutely, because these are the questions that when I stand up in front of this younger generation, what I do on day one when I do a multiple thing is I hand out index cards day one, and I say, bring it. 50 to 88% of your generation walking away from their faith, and I'm going to tell you, I don't think you're walking away from it. I don't think you have a clue about what you're walking away from. So whatever is keeping <laughs> you from stepping out, really true. write it down. They have a, a, a misconception of what Christianity is. They have this media conception of what it is. Totally. And I want them to know what they're walking away from. So write down the questions that keep you from selling out. Turn it in. We're dealing with it. By the way, that first episode of Debunk TV, one of the people that we have interviewed on there is your guest this afternoon, Jay Warner Wallace. Yeah, he's great. Is that the There is No Evidence for God? Is, is that the, yeah, is that it, the well, video that you're talking about? Point. No, first one's going to be on Debunk TV that we released oh, okay. in February is going to be Oh, gotcha. There is no truth. And we we're bringing in interviews from other guys so that it's not just me, you know. We want you to know that there's a lot of good guys out there that uh that can show you that the word of God is true and trustworthy and you don't have to be ashamed. Mhm. Um so when I'm looking at some of the debunked videos and I I look at one like um salvation can be earned. I mean, what would be your 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 response to that question? We can't do anything. I mean, think about this. You have a God who loved us so much that while we were yet sinners, while we were spitting on him, while we were driving the nails into his wrists and his feet, he comes, he dies on a cross for us that for whosoever believes on him shall have salvation. But it's not our works that are going to accomplish that because our works are filthy rags to him. Mm -hmm. He's done the work. We are blessed that this God who we should literally fall on our face before. I mean, we should fall on our face. We have no right to even stand next to him. And he comes over and he picks us up, washes us off, puts us in new clothes, and calls us his child. There's no work that can earn that. The shed blood of Jesus is the only thing that can get us in. And believe that and watch what he's going to do with it. Carl, what about people that get nervous about possibly losing their salvation? No one can take you out of my hand. Guess what? No one includes you. Your friend yeah. can take you out. So you need to get over that one, brother. I mean, God is so clear on that multiple times. No one that includes you is going to take you out of his hand. When you're in, brother, you are in. Yeah, that is a concern that comes up with with listeners from time to time. They're they're just uh, nervous that they're somehow they're going to be uh, wa- they're going to walk away or they're going to not be acceptable. Um, so I just love to let my listeners uh, get it back in their brain once and for all that nothing can s- snatch us out of His hand. Let me throw this at you, Bill, because when I will I when I illustrate this point when I'm speaking, I, I tell people about a time when I was still an air traffic controller and I bought a new car. And when I bought the new car, I was young, and I thought, well, I'm going to buy the bumper-to-bumper warranty because guess what? I'm going to own this thing till it dies, right? Right. It wasn't two weeks <laughs> into it that I got a flat tire. And I took that car back to the dealership, and I said, hey, I'd like to get a new tire or get my tire fixed. He looked at it and said, oh, we don't fix those kind of flats. you got to get a new one, and it's going to cost you this much. And I said, no, 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 you don't understand. I bought the bumper-to-bumper warranty. He said, no, you don't understand. The fine print very clearly says we don't fix those kind of flats. That's a sidewall flat. We only fix flats on the bottom. See, we are so used to this culture that man's promises are we're always looking for a loophole. We're looking for ways to get out of something that we don't want to give. Christ 
dying on a cross. There are no loopholes. When you believe, nothing's going to take you out of there, man. So it's not, see, that's, I think that's our problem is we are so used to the guarantees that man gives. It is not the same as God's. Mm-hmm. Carl, do you think that believers are oftentimes categorized as people who are coming across a little self-righteous and a little self-important? Amen. Mm-hmm. Me included. I mean, and when you believe something so strongly sometimes and somebody says something that you're like, dude, what's wrong with you? Can't you see? No, mm-hmm. no they can't. I'm like, look, until the Holy Spirit pulled those scales off of my eye, I would have told you that I was a Christian and I was going to hell. It's like there's God has got to change us. And, and, and so, yeah, sometimes we really can. And I think it's because we have a zeal. I know that I have a zeal. I have a passion. I so want people to spend eternity in heaven and not hell that sometimes, and I got an ego. I'm not going to lie to you. Um, if somebody says something to hurt me, attack me, I was an air traffic controller for 24 and a half years, eight and a half years. I was at O'Hare the last eight and a half years of my career. I was at the world's busiest. And trust me, you don't walk into O'Hare trach on some little patty cake, dude. They'll chew you up and spit you out. You can have a fuck, <laughs> man. Mm-hmm. And so I'm that, but it's like, that's not what Christ calls us to do. He calls us to love people and to speak the truth in love but not back off. But you, we don't have to be belligerent, ignorant jerks. We do need to speak the truth, though. Yeah. Okay, a couple minutes left, Carl. I, I'm looking at debunked uh, video number 10. It's always wrong to judge. Yeah. <laughs> I love that one. It's like, are you kidding me? It's like, read the scripture. Judge not, lest they be judged. You know what that whole verse is doing in reality? Mm. It's not telling us not to judge. It's teaching us how to judge. And it's like, when, when you just read Scripture, it is so clear. The way we are to judge, but we are to judge righteously, the way that judge uh, the way that Jesus judged us. We are judged. And so when you show people what the Scripture actually teaches on that, we have got to, to speak the truth. And if I say anything that goes contrary to what somebody else believes, they're going to take it as judgment and you're condemning me. I'm not condemning you. I put it like this. If somebody is doing something that I, with all my heart and mind, believe genuinely and sincerely is going to lead to them being eternally separated from God, and I pat them on the back and tell them that they're really, really okay, knowing that this is going to cause them to spend eternity in hell, that's not love. If Mm -hmm. we truly want to love people, God love people, we're going to look them in the eye, we're going to tell them the truth, because I'd rather them dislike me here and end up in heaven than like me here and end up in hell. Mm-hmm. True love is willing to take shots, and that's going to be taking a stand on issues that the world doesn't want us to take a stand on. But you can do it in a way that you don't have to be a jerk, but I do need to speak the truth. Yeah. Have you had a lot of coffee today, or is this typical Carl Kirby? This is this is Carl Kirby when we talk about ministry. When Carl Kirby is in a crowd and there's no ministry going on, Carl Kirby hides. I'm an <laughs> introvert. It's a weird... You're a delight. Thank you it's so weird. much for doing the show. GetDebunked.org or R4H.com. Yep. Uh, Do I have that right? Yep. Or Thanks. S- Carl, look forward to... Stay bold. Stay bold. Look forward to chatting with you again. Thanks for coming on the show. God bless you. God bless you. Have a great weekend. Carl Kirby's been my guest. R4H.com is the website or getdebunked.org. John Somerville in studio. Noons at 5 on Faith Radio. Welcome to the show. It's December 6th. Let me do the math. 
25 minus 6, 19, 19 days left until Christmas. And we're getting busy for sure. And it's pretty difficult time for many. And some people are missing the meaning of Christmas. And so I want to talk to Pastor John Somerville today about that. Time to slow down and reflect and remember what's most important this time of the year. And John's written a book called Making Room for Christmas, 10 Original Christmas Stories. And I got my hands on it a couple months ago when he uh, sent it to me as a gift and signed it. And I'm very excited to have it. And then I started reading the stories. And I think when December rolls around, I start to get even slightly more emotional. I don't know why. But uh, as I'm reading these stories, I go, hmm, is that another tear coming down the cheek? And the answer is yes, it is. (laughs) Because the stories are so moving and uh just a delight to go through. John, welcome to the show. It's great to be here again. Thank you so much. Um, in the beginning of your book, you talk about kind of a family tradition that kind of came unexpectedly. Tell us about that. Yeah, we are. are you, uh, we have two daughters. Um, they were young. Um, I don't remember exactly how old the oldest was. She may have been four or five. Um, and one Sunday night, we got we had been at an activity at church. We came home, and my wife said, "Build a fire in the fireplace." And she made some hot chocolate and put some cookies on a plate and. Uh, we went into the living room of our home. The Christmas tree was all lit, and uh, I, I read a Christmas story or two. And uh, it was a nice moment and kind of thought that was it. <laughs> and the next Sunday night, uh, we got uh, after dinner. It was a little while after dinner, and our oldest said, uh, when are we going to do our tradition? Tradition. And I didn't quite know what she was talking about. She said, well, you know, like we did last Sunday when we had the fire and the hot chocolate and the and the cookies. And read stories. And so that started a tradition that lasted for years uh, with our daughters where during December we paused on, 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 the, on Sunday evenings and read stories. Um, and that became a really precious time for us um, to sit down and reflect and slow down from mm-hmm. the busyness of the season and, uh, and read stories together. All right, John. So how do you make the leap from reading some stories with the family to going and writing Christmas stories on your own. So in 2005, uh, I was part of a group that started a church in Southwest Minneapolis City Church. And um, the first year that we were at church, we did a Christmas Eve service. And and we're a church with a lot of young families. We were then, we still are today. And I remember I I got up to give my Christmas Eve sermon, um, four o'clock Christmas Eve service, family Christmas Eve service, and all these parents and kids and, you know, all the well-crafted words that I had, uh, (laughs) you know, really thoughtful Mm -hmm. uh, thoughts, all all of that... um, just went right over everyone's head. There was just noise and chaos, and you could tell that uh, kids weren't paying attention and probably their parents weren't as well. And So the next year, I thought, you know, um, how about if I wrote a story? And so I took a little bit of a risk, and I wrote a story, one of the stories in the book, and I read it, and, and it went pretty well. And so I decided that from that point on, as long as they tolerated them, I would write a new story, a nice. different story for Christmas. So it's become a tradition at City Church that the family service that we have. Um, they hear a story. Uh, they hear a story. Yeah. I get up and I sit in a chair and put my reading glasses on now that I'm a little older and, <laughs> and, and read a story. Yeah. So what, what what would be the goal of these stories? I know you're trying to connect to the families and I know they're hearing the gospel message in them, but tell me what your your hope was with these well, part of it was to bring the story to life. So mm-hmm. in most of the stories, at some point or another, you'll have Luke 2 or another passage right. read or at least described. Right. And so the story's embedded in, the, the, the Christmas story is embedded in each one of these stories. But I wanted to do it in a way that was engaging and refreshing and give them some characters mm-hmm. they could relate to. Um, most of the stories involve children if, to some degree or another, um, wide range of ages. But mm-hmm. to be able to connect with folks who are young all the way to those who are older, um, 
and really to tell the traditional Christmas story in a fresh way with a with a new story. Um, these are set in all sorts of different ages and eras of history, including a fairy tale. Um, and so it's been fun to to write these and, and read them and, and and engage folks with that Christmas story. Mm-hmm. It's a great reading. Um, this I haven't read all the stories, but I've read many of them. And you've got a real gift, John. I have to say, there are, uh, I turn pages and I find myself just uh, engrossed in the story. And they're not terribly long, right? No. Um, so you design them to get to the point quickly and you develop characters well and then you uh, give a message, which is so powerful. So um, maybe you could share with listeners ways that you know, they could not only enjoy the stories but uh, use them. We've, uh, we've, you know, we, we published this last year, and so we've had a year now for folks to, to engage with it, read the book. Um, and we're finding that people use it in a variety of ways. Some people, in fact, just the other day a woman said to me that she's been reading them. She's reading one a night. She said she can't get to them every night, but she's, she's going to make it last mm-hmm. and savor it all the way through the Christmas season. Um, others, others have just read it all in one sitting. That's what one person told me. And then some families are using them, using them as a way to uh, involve the whole family, kind of in the way that we did in our little Sunday night tradition that we had developed when our girls were young. One of the things that we did is at the end of each story, there, there are a couple of discussion questions, which mm-hmm. is designed to, to help people reflect um, and help families engage with these stories. So there are a variety of ways that they can be used. I mean, they could even be used the way you originally used your stories with your family. Right. I mean, how, what a great little tradition to gather around the fire, get some cookies and some cocoa and read one of these stories. Right. And that's, that's, that's been fun. Yeah. All right. Um, I know that you probably like all the stories equally, but um, the first story that I is in the book is the Christmas pageant at gate E12. And that one, um, that one took me by surprise. Well, it's a, uh, you know, I was sitting, I, every, every year I start thinking about what am I going to write the story about, usually in August or September. Mm-hmm. And I happened to be on my way through O'Hare airport in Chicago and I was at gate E12 and, uh, I just began to imagine what it would be like to be there on a Christmas Eve in a snowstorm and possibility of your plane not getting out. And that just led to a stream of consciousness, and, and pretty soon I had an idea for a story, and that's where that story came from, was from gate E12. And this little, this little family stuck at the gate going nowhere, and it's interesting that my guest previous was an um, uh, air traffic controller at O'Hare. Oh, really? Yes, he was, uh, for the last eight years of his career. So mm. he knew all about uh, planes being uh, stranded at O'Hare at Christmas time. But sure. everybody knows the epic snowstorms that can take place. And you're trying so hard to get home and you've got your family intact and you've got kids running around and you realize you're not going to get on your flight. And you look around and you see who's in the gate area with you. And tell our listeners a little bit what happens in that story. So what we have is a mom, a single mom uh, with her daughter. Um, she's headed home. She hasn't been home for a while. There's a little bit of, of challenges uh, in her life. Um, and so she's at the gate. She's anxious. Um, and her daughter is one of these infectious kids that you see every once in a while in a place that just kind of... Um, yeah, who has no back burner, by the way. Right. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. There's yeah. one speed and it's... That, and she says exactly what's on her mind. That's exactly mm-hmm. right. And so, you know, as they sit there and they, the flight is delayed and delayed and delayed, um, eventually she, uh, they, they meet a woman who sits down next to them, um, a godly older woman who 80s, is on her way to Minneapolis as 86, well. 86, 87. Right. And yeah. has lost her husband. And uh, so in some ways, the two women, a young single mom and an older woman who's now a widow, um, both are going through some cha- a challenging mm-hmm. year in their lives. 
Um, and they find some common ground, and yet um, there are also some differences. And the older woman, as a woman of faith, is able to, in some ways, in that short period, mentor her. And then you have this Christmas pageant that gets uh, put on uh, in in the airport uh, lounge area. Yeah, yeah. Um, and <laughs> and there's all kinds of people that uh, willingly or unwillingly participate. That's right. And it's all driven by little uh, Olivia. Right. Um, and it's... Uh, it's interesting just the way she can confront this older woman uh, whose name is Eleanor, but you can call me Nellie. And Olivia just looks at her and says, are you old? I mean, <laughs> That's right. I mean this little girl just has no back burner, does she? No, she doesn't. Yeah. And, and, and what she says to the, to the, the, the pastor priest in the, yeah. in the, you know, she says, are you God? And he says, no, but I'm a friend of his. I mean, you know, just, um, yeah, she has that kind of a little infectious personality that can drive a story. and uh, But it was fun. It's a vehicle for telling the story and for showing the wonder of Christmas uh, to someone who didn't know it. And this little girl did not know the story. And to see it rekindle in her mom uh, some spiritual interest by mm-hmm. the end of the story. And then the the very sweet relationship between the younger mom, who's in a little bit of a awkward place in life. She had a husband that she... Um, lost through divorce, right. and he was um, involved in infidelity, and her heart is broken, and she's trying to pick up her pieces with very little resources. Um, and she comes across this uh, elderly woman who recently lost her husband, and they were a very godly couple. Right. As right. a matter of fact, he uh, died in church. Yes. And she thought maybe he got tired and just laid his head on her shoulder to rest. And the fact was she had, he had passed away. Yeah. And sometimes these stories include things that have some reference to experiences that, uh, you know, uh, that I know. And that happened to be a year when exactly that happened to uh, the friend, a friend of ours whose father and mother were in church one Sunday. And he leaned over, um, put his head on his wife's shoulder, and he'd gone. Mm-hmm. He was gone. Um, so a little detail, but, uh, you know, a sweet moment and... In a, in a sad situation, but also some tenderness there as well. So this uh, story is very sweet. And when I started to realize that, as I was doing the math, that um, Eleanor or Nellie uh, just had recently lost her husband and that she was at such a tender place in her life. Um, right. And when that realization came about between the two of them, I just felt, oh, here come the waterworks. Yep. Yeah. Well, good. It's, it's, very, <laughs> it's very sweet. All right. Then uh, another uh, story that I just loved um, was the um, Princess of Peace. Yeah, I think the character in this story, um, little Maggie, is my favorite character in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, writing this story. She's great. She's just fantastic. Yeah. And again, a kid with not a lot of edit. Um, and uh, But, you know, she has uh, this uncle who's in a difficult place as well. Um and just the way that she's able through her joy, um, her excitement about the season, the blunt questions she asks him that uh, make him think in some ways that perhaps he hasn't been thinking before, or mm-hmm. at least not recently. Yeah. Um, Tell the listeners a little bit about Uncle Scott. So Uncle Scott is one of these uh, insecure overachievers that goes mm-hmm. to Wall Street, <laughs> makes lots of money, um, but then gets caught in a downturn. I think I wrote this story probably not long after the 08, 09 okay. financial crisis. And just imagining someone who has had this unbroken string of success academically and then professionally and has lived the the, the life that you live when you have that kind of money and and not a lot of, uh, not a lot of spiritual interests. So mm-hmm. vacations and um, a lot of different things that... Uh, 
um, have not been fulfilling, and then to lose his identity, lose his his job um, and his way, um, and come home not the way he's come home in past years, uh, to come home a little bit with his tail hanging between his legs. And by the way, Bill, you, there's a connection with you in this story. Do you okay. know that? Um, um, is it about the Z4? It, it, it's, it's about the Z4, okay. uh, the BMW <laughs> Z4, which uh, a little sports car that uh, um, I know you have enjoyed driving. Well, I, I, I put that, that vehicle in story. How um, sweet. How sweet. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting because Scott used to come back with all this swagger because he, he would come home for Christmas, and then he'd, he'd go off to Switzerland to ski or the Bahamas or wherever to sunbathe right. or whatever. And all of a sudden now with the downturn, he's watching his pennies, and he doesn't have quite the swagger. Right. And he's feeling alone and empty, and this little sweet Maggie is just so tender. And some of the little devices you throw in here, John, I have to say, when I, when you were, when Maggie and Scott get in the in the car and drive, and they're and they're headed up, um, I think they're headed to the church. Are they? Uh, well, they're going on a drive. She wants, a drive. She, wants, she wants to drive, and she wants the top down, even though yes, it's cold it's outside. Winter. And she just tells him <laughs> to turn the heat up. Right. Um, and this line, when they, um, the blanket of snow made everything look like a postcard, they turned left and made their way past the park where a gazebo, where he played saxophone with the high school band at the 4th of July celebrations. I don't know where you came up with that line, but I instantly saw him in high school on the 4th of July with the banners up and his saxophone at this beautiful, innocent time in his life. Yeah. Yeah. It was just, it's just so sweet. Yeah. Well, good. That's you know you want to evoke a scene. You want to you, you want did to, you want to yeah. you want to create uh, something that brings people into the moment. Yeah. Uh, Let me take a little break. John Somerville is my guest, and the book that he's uh, written is called "Making Room for Christmas: Ten Original Christmas Stories." I think the best place to get it is at johnsomerville.com. dot com. Is that right? John M Somerville. John M Somerville. S O M M E R V I L L E dot com. John M Somerville. We'll take a short break and be right back. Pastor John Somerville in studio. He's written a book called Making Room for Christmas, 10 Original Christmas Stories. And you can find the good news and the gospel embedded in these stories. And if you if you like good stories, you'll enjoy this book. You can go to johnmsomerville.com to learn more about it. Um, all right, John, let's chat, chat about a couple of uh, other stories in the book. Uh, I think you had extra fun writing A Little Town of Hope. That's, that's uh, yeah, you know, you sort of hinted earlier, do you have a favorite story? And it's sort of like, do you have a favorite child? Um, <laughs> you don't, but uh, I, I do really like this story, and it was fun to write. Um, uh, just to, the, the dad in this story is crazy, uh, a little bit crazy, not in a sort of, uh, uh, he's just a kind of an, uh, an inventor, uh, unedited kind of person that just says what's on his mind. And um, just a really fun story of his son's coming back, bringing a girl who's, from a very wealthy family, a very sort of conservative, staid family, and bringing uh, her home for to meet the family, and he's a little anxious because his family's kind of out there, mm-hmm. um, and uh, so it's a lot of fun. And and just try that's that's probably the funniest story in the book, or the story there's the most humor, um, just because his dad is just really out there. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> yeah, 
All right. So, h- how about uh, the Christmas slump? That that story. Uh, there's there's a little background behind that. We were uh, one of the things we've done many years, not every year, but almost every year. Is uh, as a family, we've gone down to the Swedish Institute around Christmas time. Uh, it's just wonderful to tour that mansion. It's gorgeous and, and uh, so beautiful. Was we were down there one year, and I thought, whoa, what if I could set a story? essentially in a mansion like that, to think back to the 1920s during the uh, early 1930s, we were in the Great Depression, um, and think about a story that might take place with a wealthy family who was also uh, ends up uh, having some connections with families in need and just how that might all, all happen. And so that story really came out of that moment just as a family while we were at the Swedish Institute. Mm-hmm. So, um, And just thinking about um, how it is that uh, a, a man who's done very, very well um, how his heart had grown a little cold and how through his children interacting with those who had needs um, and were inviting those folks with need into their family, into their Christmas, uh, into their home during Christmas time, how that um, turned him uh, and helped him to, to reengage with faith and, and think about things in a new way. And when is that story set? In the 19, early 1930s. 1930s, yeah. So yeah. got lots of fun details right. about that time as well, isn't it? Yes, Mm-hmm. All right. Um, how about the beginning of the Christmas fairy tale? Yeah, so the, the story is called Ivy's Christmas Visitors. Mm-hmm. Um, and the background for this is uh, our youngest, our, our kids for many years when they were in school, uh, they were three years apart. There were three years when the oldest went to school at about 7.15 in the morning, got on a bus at 7.15, and the youngest didn't get on a bus until 9.05. So it's a big gap. That's a gap. And the youngest was up at six, sometimes five thirty in the morning. She was, uh, we called her Vegas, the child that never sleeps. She, she was just up. And so mm-hmm. we had a long time in yeah. the morning to, you know, <laughs> uh, negotiate that, that more. And so one of the things that happened is, uh, my wife was teaching preschool at the time. She, she still does. And she would leave at about eight. So I would wait another hour with Hannah, uh, on the days when she taught school and we had to fill the time. And we had a year where we read fairy tales almost every day. We had a, several books of fairy tales, and we read fairy tales. So when I got to that Christmas season and was thinking about a story to write, I said, I'm going to write a Christmas fairy tale. Um, and that was the idea behind that. And so I wrote this story about Ivy, this little girl um, set probably in the Middle Ages, mm-hmm. um, and, uh, and wrote this fairy tale. Can I have a little taste of it? Sure. Yeah. Once upon a time in a faraway land, there lived a poor woodcutter and his only daughter. They lived in a small cottage on the edge of a large forest in the north of the country. The girl's mother died shortly after giving birth to her daughter. For six years, Thomas had raised this beloved daughter, girl whom his wife had named Ivy just moments before she took her last breath. Times were hard, but Ivy had a knack for making the most of whatever came their way. Each evening, she prepared their meager meal And before they ate, they thanked God for providing what they needed for the day. Thomas loved his daughter dearly. She had her mother's kind and sensitive heart, and as she grew, he marveled at her beauty and grace. He prayed that in time she would find a loving husband with whom she might have a family. For now, he contented himself with their simple life together. As Christmas approached, life in the cottage grew grim. After an unusually hot and dry summer, What they had stored in the rafters of their cottage was less than they usually had at this time of the year. And to make matters worse, the heat of summer had given way to an unusually cold and snowy winter. Thomas found it increasingly difficult to cut, gather, and deliver all the firewood required to keep the homes in the area warm against the cold north wind. 
On Christmas Eve, while Thomas was delivering wood, Ivy prepared the evening meal. A clever girl, girl, she had saved a few treats for their Christmas Day dinner. So the evening meal was a simple affair. A small loaf of bread, some cheese, and two bowls of potato soup. Mm, it's just beautiful writing, John. Well, thank you. Oh, I'm just, you know, it's, it's gripping, and, and you're going to want to read more. Yeah. Yeah, it's really, really nice. Um, what, uh, again, what are the hopes for this book? I know that, you know, Christmas traditions are right. important, gathering your family, telling stories, connecting the gospel to a story that they will lodge in their brain. Um, certainly some of these have already lodged in my brain. Sure. You know, I think there are a lot of ways that we can communicate truth. Um, we can give propositions. We can say this is the, this is the way the gospel works. This is the way, uh, this is the truth of, of whatever we find in the Bible. But, you know, the Bible is largely filled with stories, um, and those stories connect with us. The uh, parable of the prodigal son, the parable of the good Samaritan, the, the mm-hmm. narratives in the Old Testament that bring us in line, face-to-face with real people. And while these are fictional stories, they're designed to connect us to the message of Christmas in a way that may connect to our hearts as well as our minds. And that's what these stories are designed to do. Yeah, when Jesus spoke, he didn't usually use systematic theology. He told stories. No, he did not. That's right. That's exactly the way. Yeah, and we, we love stories, and we connect to stories, and, and we can... Uh, use stories and share these stories like this with other people just to try to get them interest in the Christmas, the Christmas season and, and Jesus, our Messiah. That's right. Um, so I know there's a kind of an offer going on right now too, isn't there for this book? Cause I want to let our yeah, listeners know that there's So we, we turned Cyber Monday a, a into Cyber, Cyber Week. And okay. so, uh, Right now, through Monday, the, the book is $10 on, uh, on the website, uh, johnmsomerville.com. Um, so you can go on there. There's a code. The code is cyber, um, and you can get it for $10 um, uh, through the weekend. That's a good deal. And then uh, tell us a little bit about A Little Christmas Miracle in our remaining time. A Little Christmas Miracle is uh, about a, a young woman um, who's in a difficult place. She's estranged from her mother to some degree. She hasn't gone to church for a while, and she shows up at a Christmas Eve service where they have a Christmas pageant. And uh, she watches this pageant unfold just like most Christmas pageants do. There are little hiccups and mistakes and children who some do want to be in it and some who don't. And uh, so she has a chance to see this story unfold and it grabs her and it grabs her mother and it brings about um, by the end of the story, the beginning of a reconciliation between the two of them. Um, And I love the fact that the end of the chapters and the end of the stories, you do have talk talking questions and it's entitled let's talk so uh for example let me go to my first story that we talked about if we go to the christmas pageant at gate e12 and we get to the let's talk um it says at the end of the story sarah experienced a peace she had not had in some time she even sensed hope for the future what is it about the christmas story that gives you hope and peace in what way has the christmas story changed your life a great discussion question. Yeah. Because that is the hope of Christmas is that the Savior has come and that we can know him personally. That's right. That is, that's the core of what, you know, we, we, the, the, the Christmas story leads all the way to the cross. So it's when Christ came and began his life among us and uh, it leads us all the way to the story of the cross. Mm-hmm. And in the end of Princess of Peace, where little Maggie is being nice to his Uncle Scott, Scott arrives home feeling sad. He just lost his job and isn't sure what to do next. How does his niece Maggie cheer him up? How can you cheer someone up like Maggie did? Right. 
boy, is it a time of season just to be giving glad tidings and joy and encouragement to people that um, might be extra sad this time of year. Right. Yeah. That's right. Some people call Christmas Blue Christmas. Yeah. Or there, are, there are blue moments for um, many people at the holiday time. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And uh, it's time to share that piece with others. John, thanks yeah. so much for coming in. Have you have your story already for this year? I'm working on it. What do you mean you're working? It's not done? It's not it's in the not can? Done. No, it'll, <laughs> it'll be finished in about two weeks. Okay. So. Well, you got time. That's right. You're cutting it close, but you got time. <laughs> John Somerville has been my guest. His book is called Making Room for Christmas, 10 Original Christmas Stories. You can go to johnmsomerville.com and take advantage of the cyber deal. $10 for the book right now. And that's S-O-M-M-E-R-V-I-L-L-E, johnmsomerville.com. John, thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me. Great to see you once again. That wraps up uh, Hour 1. Hour 2 is going to be a whole lot of fun. We are going to continue down the apologetics subject with Jay Warner Wallace. Can't wait to have him back on the program again. So let's take a couple minutes and we'll get uh, Jim Wallace on the line. Be back in a minute. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.